Hey guys, welcome to CNA Newsroom, the podcast that brings you the people behind the headlines each week. I'm usually your host and CNA's editor-in-chief, J.D. Flynn, and I have been so excited about hosting this week's episode of CNA Newsroom because our producers, Kate and Jonah, have put together a great and important episode. But guys, listen to how I sound. I'm, I'm sick, and I'm just like coughing and... It's not pretty. And and seriously, like nobody wants to be in the studio with me. Nobody even really wants me at work. I'm I'm going to go home and go to bed. So Kate Vike is going to host this episode. And if you have any like highly powerful cough remedies featuring any number of substances that will make my cough better, feel free to send them to me. Uh, otherwise, I'll see you next week. Have you guys heard of YouGov? It's a national polling and data company. In July, YouGov released a report suggesting millennials are lonely. And not only that, millennials are the loneliest generation, with higher rates of loneliness than both Generation X and Baby Boomers. 30% of millennials YouGov polled said they always or often feel lonely. 27% said they have no close friends. 25% said they have no acquaintances. This study caught our attention because our team is largely made up of millennials. I'm a millennial. Jonah, our other producer, is also a millennial. Most of us have seen this loneliness firsthand, and some of us have experienced it. This week on CNA Newsroom, we talk with two millennials about loneliness. One's a single guy in Dallas, one's a wife and mother to three in Denver. And then we'll talk with a couple of experts about what might be contributing to this loneliness epidemic and how the church can respond. You've reached the CNA Newsroom. CNA Newsroom. CNA Newsroom. CNA Newsroom. Welcome to CNA Newsroom. It's a little bit challenging to find firsthand accounts of loneliness. Because although loneliness is something most of us experience, very few people talk about it. So JD did what any good millennial would do. He went to Twitter, asking his followers to DM him if they wanted to share their experience of loneliness. A lot of people responded, though one in particular stood out. Jeremy Key lives in Dallas. He just celebrated his 33rd birthday. He's single. His parents live nearby, but his friends? Well, most of them are married now and starting families, so he's seeing less and less of them. And, and by, by necessity, you know, I, it's, I've had plenty of talks with my friends about this and with my therapist about this, and it's not like it's not something I begrudge any of them for. There was a time when I had a hard time dealing with it back when it was newer, but you know, people have husbands, people have wives, people have children, and those necessarily come first. Jeremy thought that by now, by 33, he would have his own wife and children to prioritize. He remembers thinking it would come so easily, but it hasn't. And with that disappointment comes loneliness. And you just kind of want to pack it in and say, well, maybe I've I've got my dog. Maybe that's all I really need. 
but you know, you can't really, you can't let yourself do that because if friendship is what you want or if a relationship is what you want, then you got to stick to it and you got to work until you until you find it or until you're at peace with not having it. And I don't see myself ever getting to the point where I'm just like, you know what? I don't need anybody. I got my dog. I got my books. I'm good to go. I don't, I won't hit that point. Um, but some people do. I mean, there are a lot of, there are a lot of lonely people out there. I see them, you know, as a, as a counselor, I see a lot of people who are a lot like me. Jeremy's story caught our attention in part because he's a counselor. And a lot of his clients are just as lonely as he is. Honestly, those clients are some of my more difficult, um, not because of anything that they're doing, but in the counseling sphere, in the mental health treatment sphere, there's a phenomenon called transference. Transference is basically when a counselor can relate so well to a client's experience that the counselor risks losing objectivity. You feel what the client is feeling too much, and so you're no longer able to be the counselor because you're too busy experiencing what they're experiencing. When I do have a client that presents something that is hits close to home, it is difficult, it is frustrating because like I, I can look at their situation and I hear everything that they're saying and I can see the way forward for them. But Jeremy struggles to see a way forward for himself. Jeremy said he hit a really low point about a year ago. A friendship he thought would develop into a relationship didn't. You know, once I kind of got back on my feet again, I realized, okay, well, you don't know how long it's going to be until you find somebody, if you're, you know, blessed enough to find somebody ever. That's not something that's promised to you. That's just something that you hope for. So you need to get back on your feet and start being more intentional about building up a community around you. He started being more intentional with friends at work. He joined a dinner club for young adults at his parish. He signed up for dating apps. And he's much more intentional when he meets friends of friends. I'm doing, I'm doing all the things that I probably should have done close to a decade ago, but a decade ago I would have been 23, just out of college, and thought, well, I don't know how it's going to happen, but in hopefully no more than two years, I will be on the road to marriage. And so... But as motivated as Jeremy has been, making new friends has been kind of hard. Maybe it's a, a consequence of getting older, or maybe I just have bad luck. But I'm finding that every, it, everywhere is just kind of a closed-off network. Because, like, at this point in life, everyone's kind of set in their social rhythms. And so, you know, someone in my situation who has friends, I'm, you know, I'm not... I'm not friendless, so someone like me who is looking for a more socially fulfilling life, it's difficult to even get those building blocks put into place because, again, everyone has kind of got their stuff set. Loneliness isn't something that's limited to people who are single. We spoke with another millennial, Hillary Mast. Hillary is happily married and mom to three kids, and she also struggles with loneliness. Just being home with children is, <laughs> it's very lonely. You know, I think especially the first like two to three years of being a mom were 
really the hardest and the most isolating. I think in my mind, I had this vision of like, well, when I'm a mom, like I'll just make these other mom friends who are in my neighborhood because that's what my mom did. But when Hillary left her house to visit the neighborhood park or the library, there weren't any other parents her age. I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's just technology or, you know, that our homes are so comfortable now so that we don't have to go outside for entertainment. If I need to get groceries, I can order them online, which is great because I don't have to pile my kids in the car, but it's also very isolating. And a lot of her friends were either still single or hadn't had children yet. I didn't know how to socialize with people my own age who were single still. I also didn't know how to socialize with people in the same vocational state as me. I don't know where they are, for one. And another one was just, you know, by the time six o'clock rolls around, I was exhausted and I knew somebody would be waking up in the middle of the night to feed or have a diaper or whatever. About three years ago, Hillary decided to stay home full time with her kids. But that actually ended up being a lot harder on me. And I think what little structure that I had to my day was taken away and just filled with like just reacting to the needs of tiny, very irrational and sometimes very angry people. So she started going to counseling and she joined a mom's group at her parish. The group meets twice a month and they offer free childcare. I thought, okay, there's all these moms here and they have their lives together and they're like the perfect Catholic Pinterest homeschooling parents or whatever. But then as I got to know them, I realized like, oh, we're, everyone is just having a hard time at this. And that was really helpful just because I finally felt like, okay, there's other people who feel the way that I feel. And, you know, even like if I don't get to hang out with them all the time, like I would normally have had time for when I was single, I could at least shoot them a text and be like, hey, this is this is a really hard day, isn't it? Like, I don't know what's going on at your house across town or whatever, but it's just crazy here. Both Jeremy and Hillary experience loneliness, and it's important to remember they're not the only ones. Remember that YouGov study said 30% of millennials reported always or often feeling lonely. 30%. That's nearly one in three millennials who always or often feel lonely. We talked to a lot of people for this episode, and somehow every person we talked to brought up social media and the impact of technology on rates of loneliness among young people. Think about it. Facebook was open to the public in 2006. Instagram in 2010. Snapchat? in 2011. I remember a time before social media, and I think most millennials would agree with me. But that doesn't mean millennials have fully escaped the impact of social media. That impact becomes especially clear when you look at post-millennials, anyone born between 1995 and 2012. This generation is sometimes known as Gen Z, or iGen, a term coined by Dr. Jean Twenge, a professor of psychology at San Diego State University. iGens are the first generation to grow up with smartphones and social media. Dr. Twenge poured over surveys and interviews of millions of these young people, these iGeners. 
that survey asks a bunch of questions about loneliness. You know, some are things like a lot of times they feel lonely. I often feel left out of things. I often wish I had more good friends. And we found a pretty striking pattern in um, teens' loneliness. Teen loneliness had actually been on the decline for a number of years. But then around 2011, 2012, it spiked. And loneliness among teens has now reached all-time highs. Dr. Twang said it's difficult to know for sure what caused this noticeable spike in loneliness among teens. But I think you can use a number of steps to try to at least make a good educated guess. What's the time sequence? What are some things that happened in that time period around 2010, 2011, 2012 that might have an influence on teens' loneliness? Well, one is that they started spending a lot less time with their friends face-to-face. Well, why are they seeing their friends less face-to-face? The most plausible explanation is because they're communicating with their friends on social media or online or via texting instead, that one has replaced the other. Dr. Twang said smartphones and social media were adopted fairly uniformly among teens across the United States. And the shift away from face-to-face social interaction and toward digital interaction is something that's had a big effect on the social lives of teens that themselves rather than some kind of indirect effect. And if this is happening to post-millennials, it's fair to say it's having a similar effect on millennials themselves. We'll be right back. Hi there, I'm Ed Condon, DC editor for the Catholic News Agency. I don't like a lot of things. I do not like windmills, or kittens, or shorts, or white claw, whatever that is. But I do like listening to CNA Newsroom and CNA Editor's Desk. Every Friday on Editor's Desk, you can hear me and the other CNA editors take a longer look at some of the stories that made the news this week as we break down the context behind the headlines, all while JD rings bells at us as we try and talk. Occasionally, the other editors even try their hand at a little game I like to call Yes or No. If you enjoy listening to the best, most informed commentary on the week's headlines from a Catholic perspective, search for CNA Editor's Desk on your favorite podcast app. And be sure to hit subscribe to be notified when we post new episodes. It's available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, Spotify, and many more. And while you're at it, please be sure to subscribe to CNA Newsroom our companion podcast that brings you the people behind the headlines. Both of our shows are available wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to the episode. I don't want to say that we've lost the ability to communicate face-to-face, but we're in the process, I think, of losing it. And that's the fundamental building block of making friends is being able to relate to them. This is Jeremy again. Jeremy told me about a friend of his who regularly reaches out asking for advice on how to strike up a conversation with women at church. My grandfather, you know, a Depression-era kid, my grandfather would never ever, ever, even my parents would never, ever ask, how do I talk to somebody? It was something that we all know is important in interpersonal communication, but we don't know how to do because we've been 
given so many different ways of communicating that you can only communicate so intimately with. Hillary told us social media seemed to feed on her insecurities and loneliness. I don't usually go onto Facebook just mindlessly scrolling when I feel really happy or when I'm really, you know, excited about what's going on in my day. It's usually like, okay, I just dealt with like the fifth diaper blowout and I just need to have some sort of like exterior stimulation of my brain. And, you know, I I feel like I would always kind of walk away from that feeling sadder or more anxious about the way my life was. You know, I don't think social media is a bad thing necessarily. I think it's neutral, but I, I think it's just the way that you use it. And as a young, you know, stay-at-home mom who didn't get much interaction face-to-face with people, I think it was it was really hard for me to to look at that and and be able to to see it with a real-world perspective of oh, this is just the highlights of people's days. It's not really the full picture. The thing that has helped me the most is encountering other moms, especially with similarly aged kids, face to face. You know, going over to their house for a play day and seeing like, oh, their house is really messy, just like mine. You, you know, you can't hide that in person. You can, but it's, it's a lot harder to do than on social media. Patrick Rivera leads the Office for Young Adult Ministry in the Diocese of San Diego, and he told me he sees the impact of smartphones and social media in his day-to-day work with young people. We've seen an increase in a sort of dualistic person uh, or appearance. We recognize more often than not, what we see on those pages is not really who they are when we encounter them, and it paints a very vague picture of who they are. It's It's a picture that they create, right? The loneliness is experienced more so when they are encountering other people in the flesh than it is when they're on social media. But the social media connectivity is, in fact, what causes the inability to communicate and relate to someone in the flesh. So sometimes even when young people leave the house and go to events within the diocese, they're still isolated because of technology. The first 30 minutes to an hour or so of social time, you'll see less people talking face-to-face unless they know each other, and you'll see more young adults holding phones in their hand and checking their Facebook or Twitter or Instagram feeds or texting people who aren't there, and they're not connected. It's allowed people to put up walls, but also to express themselves in a very unhealthy way, and that expression just further solidifies the wall. While it's meant to be something that connects us, uh, it actually seems to have disconnected us from personal, this interpersonal relationship where we have a thousand friends on Facebook, but not as many really deep, close, intimate friends. This is Marcus Shook. He works for the Fellowship of Catholic University Students, or FOCUS. He oversees 38 campuses along the East Coast. It's very easy to hide with technology, right, with all the texting and social media, all that type of stuff, it's easy to hide behind that and not really dig deep into our own hearts of what's really going on and then to even desire to to know who somebody else is. Maybe this sounds crazy, but I, I believe that that's actually, that's at the core of all of this. We are lonely. Um, we, we're, we're lonely and we're 
We're paradoxically lonely because we're lonely at a time when, you know, the human race has never been more connected. We are brought up with this expectation of an ease ease of communication. It's all right at our fingertips. Having that expectation, we don't put in the work to actually learn how to communicate. Or we do, but we don't know how to communicate interpersonally, how to sit in a room and talk to people. Dr. Twangy said rates of loneliness will continue to rise if we don't fix our relationship with technology. I think we'll have a lot of lonely people. Um, I think we already do. But, you know, I think this idea that, well, it's fine. It's fine. That nobody's going out because we have so much connection and communication online. I think that assumes that digital communication is just as good for our brains for our mental health, for loneliness, as interacting with each other face-to-face. And it's not as good. I think that's, that's pretty clear. So we've looked at the problem of loneliness among young people. And we've looked at what could be a major contributing factor to this loneliness. That naturally leads us to ask, well, is there anything the church could do about this? Remember Patrick Rivera? You heard from him a little bit earlier on this episode. Well, Patrick leads the Office for Young Adult Ministry in the Diocese of San Diego. And over the past couple of years, a ton of millennials have moved to San Diego. Patrick remembers noticing a spike in millennials in 2016. More and more young adults that were involved in parish-based ministries that we had here in the diocese um, we're from other places besides San Diego. And it's similar in, in some extent to areas like New York City, where they kind of come in for two to three years, and then they finish that sort of post-college experience, and then they go on to their, to their careers, or they establish themselves here, or go on to their graduate schools. And we noticed this was happening very rapidly. So the diocese established a task force, then beefed up its Office for Young Adult Ministry by hiring a full-time administrative assistant and an associate director. We totally adjusted our programming. The office began to encourage pastors to hire full-time or part-time employees to run young adult ministries at the parish level. The office also encouraged national nonprofits like Catholic Young Adult Sports or Young Catholic Professionals to host events at San Diego parishes to encourage millennial engagement with parish communities. The parishes really are key to reaching out to those young adults that are experiencing this disconnectivity and this loneliness and this lack of uh, security in who they are. And it's been great. The success has been awesome. We've seen a lot of growth, um, and, and, and it's amazing what someone of just 10 hours a week as their part-time job can accomplish um, when it comes to building a ministry. Patrick said several parish ministries have between 30 and 50 dedicated young adults who participate. Here in San Diego, we like to think that all of our ministry efforts have to somehow reconnect back to the parish level because we believe that that's the best way to get young adults connected to something. If they're just connected to an event, or if they're just connected to a greater ministry outreach, but that ministry outreach doesn't give them a home, which is really what young adults, I believe, are missing, is a sense of home, um, this sense of security in who they are. If we don't offer that, 
and all of we all that we do, then we're, we'll miss the mark repeatedly. We want them to find homes that they can find that they can feel satisfied and a place that they can go to, not just for the sake of the people or the community, but for the sake of at the end of it all to know and love and experience the living God and Jesus Christ. An essential part of growing in our relationship with the Lord is actually fostering friendships. This is Marcus from Focus again. When you think about a fire, fire is is a collection of coals, right? And when the coals are burning together, they burn a lot hotter. But when you take a coal out and you leave it by itself, it fizzles out, right? It, it, it cools off really quickly. And I think a parish or the church in general is the place where the coals can burn hotly together. Marcus said today's young people struggle with fundamental questions. What does it mean to have and to be in a relationship with God? Uh, this is what we're made for. Uh, and then also, what, is it, what does it mean to have a real friendship with another person? Focus tries to help young people discover the answers to these questions by pairing students with young campus missionaries. The best way to do that is to actually live it with them, and that's, that, that's, that's our approach. For Jeremy, sometimes the anecdote to his loneliness is as simple as being seen and heard. In the church, we feel like we have to solve everyone's problems. We don't. A lot of people out there are lonely, are depressed, are anxious. There's a lot of stuff going on out there that most people aren't qualified to help. So don't try to help. Just be there with the person. And that may be all the help that you can provide. But that may be all the help that they need right now. You know, studies show that upwards of about 85% of the therapeutic relationship between the client and the counselor is just in the therapeutic relationship. It's not what they do or how they do it. It's just in the client feeling like this counselor gets me. This counselor cares about me. This counselor understands me and is in my corner. Loneliness isn't something that affects only young people or only one generation. In fact, a lot of people, young and old, experience high rates of loneliness. So this episode was meant to be a single episode on loneliness, but it's actually part one of a two-part series. In part two, we're going to talk about loneliness among the elderly. That's it for this week's episode of CNA Newsroom, the podcast that brings you the people behind the headlines. I've been your host this week, Kate Bike. JD will be back next week. Hopefully he'll feel better soon. We're produced and edited by me and Jonah McKeown. A very special thanks this week to Jeremy Key and Hilary Mast for sharing their stories with us. See you next week.